The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome along to the latest podcast episode of The Home Show. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, we take a look behind the history of Dublin tenement buildings. I'll be trying my hand at making a fancy floral bouquet with faux flowers. Dublin City Council have put a call out to the arts community to submit ideas for the future use of the former College of Music. We'll be finding all about that. And new mum, Neve Marr, with tips on decorating your nursery. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can get in touch with me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And uh, you can text us at 53106 this morning for 30 cent. And remember, you can listen back to the show uh, and all of our shows indeed up on the podcast, which is on the Newstalk website or on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, babies are big business and some have become mini influencers in their own right, especially if they have a celebrity mum on Instagram. Uh, Nurseries are very, very stylish now. There's nothing you can't buy. There's colour palettes and Pinterest boards and all that kind of thing, I have to say. It's all changed since my day, maybe since yours too. But if that is something that interests you, if you're expecting a new arrival or a stork to arrive anytime soon, the pitter-patter of little feet, well, then you will want to stay uh, with the show because Neve Marr, new mum herself, will be making her first appearance back after maternity leave and the birth of baby Lola to tell us all about stylish nurseries. Now, one of the most iconic features of Dublin City is, of course, the tenement building. And while we can look down beautiful Georgian squares, Mountjoy Square, Henrietta Street, Gardner Street, all we can think of sometimes is the way that these buildings used to be housing overcrowded, poor families. Well, there's a whole history behind these buildings. I'm delighted to welcome to the Home Show this morning, Tim Murta, historian, who has written a, a book on just this called Spectral Mansions, The Making of a Dublin Tenement, 1800 to 1914. Tim, you're very welcome along to the show. Thank you so much, Ned. Thanks for having me. Now, let's define first um, what a tenement is, because it has a resonance in Irish society and, and a negative one. Uh, I mean, a tenement simply means you know, a single building designed for multi-person occupants. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, you know, we, it's a, a, synonym, a synonym, I suppose, for sort of apartment blocks in the present day. It's associated with the 19th century and the sort of era of industrialization and sort of very substandard working class housing. Uh, but in Ireland, as you, as, as you uh, implied, it has a particularly negative connotation, particularly in Dublin, because unlike, say, Glasgow or tenement buildings in New York or Berlin, the tenements in Dublin were houses that had once been lived in by sort of the elite in the 19th century. Mm. They were not houses built in the 19th century. They were already a century old when the working classes moved in in sort of the mid-late 19th century. And they were particularly substandard. They were not mm. designed, these are houses designed for a single aristocratic family that have, in some cases, as much as 100 people under a single roof. And, you know, they're big houses. Mm. Uh, you know, places like Mountjoy Square, like Henrietta Street, which the book sort of focuses on, I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely huge houses, but still, they're not designed for modern plumbing, for modern electricity, for multiple apartments for families. And that leads to some pretty squalid living conditions sort of by the end of the 19th century. Indeed. So, I mean, there is a reason why there is a particularly bad resonance for the word tenement in Ireland. Now, uh, that 1901 census, which you represent in the book, uh, 50 or more people living in each house. Uh, there are some photographs that you have in the book and they all look very miserable. What was life like for those uh, occupants? Life was particularly uh, brutal. 
It was often short uh, in terms of high infant mortality rates, high death rates overall, uh, endemic disease. Uh, Dublin was a very unhealthy city. It had the highest infant mortality rate for every year between 1899 and 1913. It had outbreaks of smallpox as late as 1903. Uh, it had tuberculosis rampant. Uh, it was an unhealthy place to live and often die. Uh, for those living in the tenements, making a living was a daily struggle, uh, using whatever budget they could eke out uh, from, from their wages to first pay the rent and then buy something to eat. Uh, living often in terms of clothing and very basic hand-me-downs. Uh, it was a particularly stark, impoverished place, even in comparison to other cities with tenement problems or working-class housing problems. I think is the shortest answer I can give on that one. Yes. Now, talk to me a little bit in this book. And uh, by the way, the uh, the plates are lovely, the oh. uh, drawings and uh, a lot of the illustrations that you've used in the book, uh, because it's it shows an entirely different society, which is the one that a lot of these houses were originally built for, as you say, Henrietta Street, Mountjoy Square. We wouldn't consider them maybe the best parts of Dublin at the moment, but they were when? They were in sort of the mid to late 18th century. Uh, these, I mean, the, the city changed by the end of even the 18th century in terms of where the focus was. Um, up until the 1780s, 1790s, the focus of the city was far more to the west, not to the sort of area we now know as sort of the city core around College Green, around uh, Dame Street, around Grafton Street. That was not the city centre. The city centre was sort of an access running from, say, Christchurch Cathedral up through Capel Street. That was sort of the, the lowest uh, river crossing you could get with, with the Essex Street Bridge there. Now, that changed as bridges further down the Liffey were built uh, with the relocation of the Custom House and all sorts of things. And that changed the center of gravity. So suddenly it became O'Connell Street, College Green, you sort of won't go from one to the other. Uh, the new houses being built increasingly in the south of the city in places like Fitzwilliam Square, out towards uh, the Pembroke Estate, what's, you know, what today most people would associate that with. The, those lovely house streets off uh, a bag, lower bag, upper mm. Bagot Street, like uh, Raglan Road, for instance. Mm. That's where the city is going by sort of the early 1800s. Uh, so but there's who, also another thing going on. Yes. Which is, there's, a, there's a shift of gravity. There's, the city as a whole is declining after 1800. Um, that, there's an economic story that takes about a century to fully unfold. Who were these homes originally um, designed for? Who lived in them? What kind of family? I mean, these are... But taking Henrietta Street as an example, these are the creme de la creme. They're the best, they're the, the wealthiest of the wealthy. Uh, this, uh, this is the Anglo-Irish ascendancy, uh, so well known from the era. I mean, Henrietta Street is designed it's, you know, to take prestigious anchor tenants. Its first tenant is the head of the Church of Ireland, the head of the Anglican Church in this country, uh, the primate of, uh, of Armagh. Um, you know, it's pitched at political movers and shakers. Henrietta Street has, you know, in, at points in the 18th century, some of the top leading Irish parliamentarians of the day. Uh, number 14, Henrietta Street, has the commander of the armed forces in Ireland. Uh, it has a chancellor, a lord chancellor of Ireland. It has you know, these top leading political figures. So these houses are not just for the wealthy, but the super wealthy. Uh, people who can afford you know, a domestic staff of you know, 10, 12, 15, maybe even 20 servants to wait on them and their immediate family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people with huge influence, not just wealth. But you know, this is the era, the 18th century is the era of the Protestant Anglo-Irish ascendancy, Catholics are excluded from political representation and rights. The power rests in a very small set of wealthy Protestant hands, 
And that is who these houses are pitched at. Because there was there was this sense sometimes that Ireland was seen as a, a kind of a back post. It was, it was the undesirable place to send somebody, maybe if they were being punished <laughs> by the Queen or whatever, or yeah. the King. But in fact, it, it was quite an elite destination for some considerable time in the, in the early 18th century. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things you need to remember is Dublin is the second biggest city in the British Isles from most of the 18th century. It is at points in the top 10 of European cities, or at least Western European cities, at points in the 18th century. It's probably never been as high sort of in European or international rankings in terms of size. Uh, it's a city that's got some impressive and new examples of elite architecture in the 18th century. I mean, we still know them today, it's sort of not just the residential mm. areas of Georgian Dublin, but things like the front of Trinity College, the uh, Parliament Building College Green, now the Bank of Ireland, the Customs House, the Four Courts, the King's Inn, slightly after that. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, very impressive. It was a bit posh and a nice a nice place to live. Now, in 1801, we had the Act of Union. W- w- do you think that that was, the p- because the political background to this, of course, is that, that yeah. Dublin and Ireland, of course, was just another British city, another city yeah. of, of the United Kingdom. Uh, did that change things or, or was it towards the mid-19th century when, when the famine came. What was the tipping point where the, whereby this was no longer a desirable thing to do, people were leaving and maybe those those houses were being repurposed? There's, there's two things going on here. I mean, one is absolutely the act of union by getting rid of the Irish Parliament means you no longer have 300 Irish MPs who need a Dublin townhouse. So there's just a, a loss of demand at mm. that upper elite level. So that is damaging the, not damaging, but it's altering the use of those very big houses in places like Henrietta Street or Mountjoy Square. They're increasingly being used for things like offices, like law offices, Henrietta Street next to the King's Inn, so lawyers move in fairly quickly. Um, it's being used, some of the big mansions are being used for things like hotels, um, being bought over as sort of you know, state bodies or offices. So that, there's that change. That's definitely affecting the housing market. But what really happens is it's a much longer story that the union's only part of, which is economic decline. Now, the union definitely hits Dublin industries. Mm. Uh, Dublin no longer has... Uh, tariff protections on English, cheaper English goods from the new industrial cities like Manchester or Leeds or, or, or Sheffield. And that's hurting Dublin manufacturers. So you're getting this change in the housing market. You're getting a hollowing out of Dublin's industrial base, or mm. industrial base. So what you have is by the end of the, the 19th century, I mean, even if this happened even before the famine, the famine just accelerates it, mm. which is that most employment in Dublin is low paid, low skill, not regular. I mean, by 1901, by the 1901 census, I mean, it depends how you read it, but between a quarter and a third of the male workforce is basically in casual, general labour. Well, it's an important record and uh, marks the change and how uh, political decisions and economic conditions, and of course they're ever present, uh, can actually change the um, the landscape of people's lives uh, and indeed entire populations. The book is called Spectral Mansions, The Making of a Dublin Tenement, 1800 to 1914. And uh, author and historian Tim Murta, thank you for joining us uh, on The Home Show this morning. Thank you so much, Ned. Really appreciate it. And I'm joined by Samantha Smith now, owner of Doro. Um, and Samantha, we have had florists in uh, on the show before and we've had people who've done kind of all kinds of flower arrangements for different occasions. You have a slightly different model here because I am seeing the most incredible splash of colour in studio. We have hydrangeas, we've roses, we've eucalyptus, we've lilies, we've all sorts of things. 
I can't smell them. No, they're so realistic looking, aren't they, Sinead? So they're faux. Um, it was basically something that I set up during lockdown. Uh, I love flowers, absolutely adore the colours and I love having them in my home, but I could never keep anything alive. Mm. So I had to research something that looked realistic, but we had the longevity, obviously, and we weren't going to be throwing them out after three days. So this is, Doro is something that I did set up as a, a wreath for your door. Um, but so many people want artificial for their tables, you know, coffee tables. And you see them in all the interiors, magazines, there's the book and the candle and the gorgeous flower arrangement. But you'd have to be replacing them every three days. Yeah. So I found that these are the most realistic and yet you can add your own scent to it or you can add in some real. I have some eucalyptus here, which as it dries out, Gives you that gives beautiful you menthol smell. scent that exactly. comes with it. And I have to say they are incredibly realistic. I do have faux flowers in my own home and I love them. Uh, they weren't cheap, but as you say, I don't have to replace them. No, And it's, and it's lovely getting a bunch of flowers from somebody is. as a gift. But you know, like, especially, you know, during the summer with the heat, they're going to be gone in a couple of days. So Absolutely. this is something that is a permanent addition and to the home. And it's sustainable because you have them forever. You know, you have to think reusability. So you can keep all of this and add to it for the different seasons. So I have an arrangement on my coffee table and at Christmas time I'd add in holly and berries. For the summertime, add in pink peonies. So it's like a hybrid model. Sure. You get the longevity of faux as you're going and then the realistic. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, rather frighteningly, you've decided that <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make an attempt because this all has to be arranged. I mean, these flowers look beautiful as they are, randomly strewn they around do. the place. But you, you, you tell me, no, I have to make an arrangement. Out you of them. do, and you'll so, surprise yourself. Okay, all and right. it's really enjoyable. It's well, really let's get creative. Started then, what are we going to? What are we going okay, to? Okay, so off I with? thought a, a little summer arrangement. You might have a lovely be nice. jar. A, a, a yeah, jar it's here a now, fluted jar. And do you know okay. what I do? I add a little bit of water into the end to make it look realistic. Oh, right. You know, okay. so but you just put in your foliage. So this is okay. this is like, a, like an fern. asparagus fern, okay. exactly. So three okay. of those just to bulk out. So you put that in, and you keep this when you buy this. No, that's all. Even after trouble already, you're fine. You'll right. have this okay. forever. Have have so that's what I'm it. saying. For each season then, you can add in okay. whatever. Okay. So these are little uh, pink roses. They are so I thought they are fab. Here's me taking them off you, worried about I the know. thorns. <laughs> There's no thorns on them. That's it. They're just They're very so realistic. realistic. Okay, are we just going now? How, how, so how do we place these? I then? usually use... Um, you know, uneven, so odd numbers. Okay. So just place them randomly. So, uh, you know, three or a five or a seven. Okay, and I'll keep them to the outside, am I? Keep them to the outside okay. and then we'll, we'll put the... Okay, yeah. well, there's there's three in there now. Already. Look just at that. Keep, yeah, keep oh, manipulating. You'll, yeah. you'll manage oh, them. Oh, there's one, right. But they okay. do, they look so So we have three there now. That looks yes. very pretty. Yep. All right. And very then we'll good. add in an anchor, which I love camellias. Now you say an anchor, these. so that's like a great so this big thing in the middle, right down the middle. So this will give it. So right. if you just and look pop at that, that, you can bend the stem then to whatever exactly. whatever size you want, and for then for whatever size it. vase. Yeah. So okay. you you pop really do use them and reuse them, and that's okay. what it's all about. I mean, the three tenets of sustainability are reduce, reuse, recycle. Indeed, they so, are. So you know, this is okay. just fantastic. Here we are. These now. are lilies. Now I love lilies, but I do not like the sneezing. No, and there's little stamens because they, they get on everything, don't they? they and these look your at clothes. me touching them now, and nothing comes yeah. off. Okay. And they are so realistic, aren't yeah, they? I mean, they you are. really have to touch them. They are because one of them looks them. as if it's about to come out, I and the know. other one is fully yeah. out, and that's the way. So it would I be. have these at different uh, angles. So obviously, this one is going to be the taller one. Just pop that in, honestly, Sinead. Pop it in, play around with it. Right. So easy. Okay. 
Yeah, grand, it, fab. Okay, and then this one may be on the other side, right. just to even Balance it all out. out. Okay, that's fine. And I kind of thought maybe one of these beautiful hellebore. You don't have to be as delicate no, as you, you would have to be with real flowers. And oh, this is lovely. Now, where should I put so this? So I think just put this at the front, this just side. to break up all the pinks. That's yeah. all. You know, all make right. it look a little oh, bit more. All the different layers. Yeah, you've a job. That looks amazing. And I would probably put this on the other side, just because. Well, you pop that in there. It is for a coffee table lovely. you know so lovely. you need to always remember turn your vase around so you can see it from all angles okay but yeah no, they're Perfect. absolutely fab these are these are absolutely beautiful now and you've done you've done a lovely job sourcing them where do you get them from well it's actually an irish supplier that i have i try and source local from you know our printing to our website to our flower suppliers mm. everything is irish i love uh, supporting local business um I think it is missing something and somebody will say to you, oh, but you don't get the smell of the real flowers. Mm. So I actually brought in some real eucalyptus, which is fab okay. because and as it dries is, out, yeah, it becomes even more beautiful. beautiful. So we'll add in a little bit of that just okay. for, for it to look realistic. And uh, and if you pop that in the middle. Okay. That's our hybrid model no. there now. So wow. you're marrying the two. You so have the looks... longevity of faux, yeah. but then you have all and the And as you say, in the winter, then you would swap out some of those flowers or Take you could put in a branch out. with exactly. some holly on it or something like you'll like. buy these bunches and you'll have them forever. Beautiful. And it's, there's no wastage. Gorgeous, gorgeous. So I think it's, right. it's an absolute winner. And this is the future, you reckon? I do. All right. I do. Okay, and where can people find out more about you, Samantha? Well, we have a website, www.doro.ie and we're on Instagram, doro.ie. Fantastic. All right. Well, look, we'll pop uh, a picture of my efforts really good <laughs> efforts. on uh, my Instagram after the show and people can have a look at that. Uh, and Samantha, thank you so much for joining us today. And pulling that together so quickly for us. You did well. Thanks, Sinead. Now, with all that out of the way, the former DIT College of Music building on Chatham Road, down the road from us here in Newstalk in Dublin, was initially constructed by Dublin City Council as a fire station in 1890. Uh, Well, they've now put out a call to the arts community to submit ideas and proposals for the sustainable future use of the building. And I am joined by Ray Yates, Dublin City Arts Officer with Dublin City Council. Ray, you're very welcome uh, to the home show this morning. Tell us a little bit about the existing building. It is a lovely building. Oh, it's a landmark building. And um, an awful lot of people talk to me about going to music lessons there, uh, whether they were teachers uh, or indeed students. And it was a, you know, a very important building for the development of music in the city for a very long time. But as uh, TUI has moved to, uh, out to Grange Gorman, mm-hmm. uh, the building was reverted to the ownership of Dublin City Council. And as you said, it was a fire station one time and it was also the city laboratory, I believe, for a period of time um, before it became its known use as a, as a music centre. So what our city councillors want to do is to maintain its use for arts, culture and creative use. A bit broader maybe than just the arts, mm-hmm. uh, from a, but it could be arts use, cultural use or creative use. And um, we've publicised an open call. This is the most transparent way we can make sure that everyone has an opportunity to apply. Now, uh, I think of, we're, we're possibly all very grateful it's not going to be a hotel for a start. So let's get that out of the way. What do you hope to receive in terms of submissions? I mean, what, what is your brief? The, the brief is, is very simple because it's very wide. We're only simply asking the, the applicants to tell us their ideas. We, we know this particularly from areas like public art and, you know, various arts applications. 
we want to be surprised and impressed by the application rather than say it must fit particular criteria. When, when you get into the criteria area, that would be in round two where we would, we would try to make it much more difficult for the applicant in a way. Applicants always say to us that they put in a tremendous amount of time on applications and be, that probably don't have a chance of success and they would much rather have an easier way of applying. So it's a very simple 750-word statement of the, your track record, your idea, uh, the feasibility of your study as well, like how feasible is, is the idea, mm. and then a very simple budget. And, you know, in the case of uh, the former film-based building, went through this process recently, I and mean, he's about 37 applications in the first round. It okay. went to 16, and then eight people and organisations were interviewed. So it's like but, the, the, it's a, the equivalent of an elevator pitch is really what you're looking for at this stage then? Absolutely, because I think that, that that's fairer because people then won't spend two or three days, you know what I mean, having mm. to work as they do, as we do all do, including myself. I have to apply to various agencies. And it, you often don't have the resources to do that. And also, it's a learning process as well, you know, no, no more than going for a job interview or whatever. Going through the process, you learn much more about, you know, how to pr- propose uses for buildings and what mm. buildings and authorities need. What kinds of uses could this building be put to? Are you looking for a single applicant and project or could it be split up and, and used for multiple purposes? It could be split up and used for multiple purposes. There are kind of three principles that we set out in the open call. One is public use. So some people will say that sometimes arts buildings or cultural buildings or even community buildings will close down and only be for the membership or the the people who've rented it to use privately. So a kind of a drop-in space, if that's possible, maybe people might propose a cafe. There should be semi-private use, such as the ability to rent it. Again, that, that goes to our values of accessibility. And then we all know that artists and cultural practitioners need private use. Mm. Uh, whether rehearsing a play or, you know, writing or you know, creating art, visual art. Mm. Yeah. and they do need privacy for that. So finding the synergy between these places and, of course, the envelope of the building, because we, we can ideally state anything we like, but it, it has to actually work. And um, it's, it's a very suitable building for this, given the amount of studio, you know, for teaching that there was in the past. So there are large studios and small studios, like a lot of rooms in it, yeah. and there are some shared spaces as well. So... Really, you know, it could be anything from a, a type of artistic school through to it has a small performance gallery area. So it could be artists who are all working together to run that gallery. Uh, but I don't I don't want to limit anyone mm. by saying mm. any use. I really like to hear from everyone. And um, in terms of now submissions and who you expect to submit to this, when, when is the closing date and yeah. um, when do they have to have this pitch into you? Thirtieth of June is the closing date. Oh right, okay. So, um, so get your skates we, on is the message. Yeah. So we've there are some applications in already, and I do expect you know um, in the last day or so that it will surge. Mm-hmm. Um, the we've had an open uh, open Zoom meetings. Uh, two of those is information, and over seventy people have viewed the building. Okay. Uh, last week. So, so lots of interest. Yeah. So a lot of interest because it's I mean it's such a lo- great location, and we're going to make it economically easy for these applicants to mm. use this building. Now, so that is um, the College of Music, um, Chatham mm. Row, very, very central. Everybody knows it. Uh, however, there is a separate project you have uh, yeah. involving other buildings called Space to Create. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, last thurs- Thursday morning, the Minister for Tourism, Culture, the Arts, Grails, Exports and Media, Catherine Martin, TD, 
and the Lord Mayor of Dublin launched this this program that will that will create extra nine million funding uh, to make sixty artist workspaces in Dublin. Right, sixty, and are you talking about visual art, um, yeah. kind of dram- dramatic art, or or do you mind? We don't mind. Uh, obviously, you have to be suitable to the space. Like one of the buildings involved is a restored 18th-century townhouse, mm. uh, Nine Merchants Key. Um, that won't be suitable for wet, what they call wet work, right? Because of the conservation of the building. But a writer, composer, mm. people are using. You know, even a lot of artists need even office space, and arts organisations need office space. Next door, number eight, uh, could be used by by all kinds of visual artists mm. and people who need to make a bit of a mess. But there's also a theatre at the back of number eight, the old St. Anthony's Theatre. Oh, really? Theater. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Have, yeah. It's an amazing space. Mm. Uh, and um, that's going to be restored to 105 seats. So that's also a place where community and professional theatre will work together. And equally, we're, we've co-designed those the, the idea for those two buildings in a feasibility study with artists and community in a co-design group. So we hope to place artists in a very innovative way within the community that will have a studio in the building. Now, we know of old from public works uh, that despite all of the will in the world, this can take a lot of time and cost a lot of money. Sure. When can we expect? You have a secret donor, by the way, I, uh, for, for some of this, do you? Yes, yeah. Three million of the nine million is coming from a, an, a donor who wishes to remain anonymous at the moment. Right. You're not going to give us a hint or anything? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. OK. Well, that philanthropic body or person uh, is obviously hastening works then on that side. But when can we expect to see shovels in the ground, either yeah. for, for Chatham Row or for any of these other buildings? Well, Chatham Row is already in use by artists uh, in a meanwhile use. So I think, you know, we will get through the, the open call process, certainly by the end of this quarter, or the final quarter of this year and hopefully get the occupants in before the end of the year. Good. All right. Well, I think people will be just, as I say, grateful that it has not been sold off for, you know, more car parks, hotels and all the other stuff that we seem to be getting nowadays. Uh, And certainly, are you getting support then, I presume, from the Minister, Catherine Martin, on on this whole area as well and the department? Absolutely. I mean, mean, Catherine Martin's ministry has been a step change in the arts because, you know, it's 75% increase in Arts Council funding. Uh, you know, huge funding for Creative Ireland, uh, you know, extra funding from the Arts Council into the local authority. So, you know, the the minister is a big priority. Artist workspaces mm. are a massive priority uh, within the arts, within Dublin City Council through our arts SPC. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a big partnership. And you can't uh, underestimate too what a donor approaching the city with that amount of money has really mm. triggered and coalesced mm. this project. Well, maybe it'll inspire some others. Uh, there's oh. a lot of cash floating around at the moment, maybe not evenly and not distributed uh, all the way, but mm. there are lots and lots of people with lots and lots of money and indeed companies. So hopefully that might act as an inspiration uh, maybe for others to to feed into that. Ray Yates, Dublin City Arts Officer. Uh, when all that gets done, we may have you back to explain what has been done and what it's now being used for. And for the moment, thank you very very much for bringing us up to date with that project uh, on the home show. Uh, and that is called Space to Create. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. And it was with great joy that I welcome back uh, one of our show stalwarts, Neve Marr, Commercial Creative Director at the Journal.ie. And congratulations, Neve. You had a little baby girl. 
I did, yes, three months ago. So this is one of the the first times actually that I've been away from her. So I'm delighted to be out. And yeah, it's great. I've got a lot of concealer on and I've got a pump in my bag and I'm ready to go. (laughs) Ready to go. Fantastic. (laughs) And actually you could have brought her in with you. We're delighted. We're very well equipped for uh, people in the studio. Next time, definitely. She'll, She'll stay in here. She'll be running the control room. Well, I have no doubt and I've been looking at your Instagram posts uh, throughout your leave and I must say uh, it, it will be probably she will probably be one of the most stylish babies <laughs> that there ever was uh, because of course you have been uh, involved in nursery decoration yes. and styling her yeah. clothes and her wardrobe and all of that where do you get the time and energy well, is my first question <laughs> I mean it's the fun part of it isn't yeah. it I'm a first time mom, and I think that that's a, an important thing to, to kind of say as well because you know I didn't have any other children running around while I was designing the nursery but during my pregnancy it was one of the things that I concentrated on nesting I had read a lot about it and I remember thinking oh I doubt I'll have huge urges like that but they were very big. They Mm. were palpable. I felt like I needed to be in control of something because you do Mm. feel slightly out of control of your body. Um, So yeah, the nursery was a massive project for me and I learned a lot along the way and I did a huge amount of research. Um, So anybody who is, you know, researching or redesigning a room in their house, you know, if they have a baby on the way or if they have a new baby on the way as well, this is the thing I've, I've heard a lot about like, oh, you know, you'll do a lot now for the first one, but any more children that you have in the future good luck so I I was really designing the nursery with that in mind to try and keep a good amount of you know longevity as well and potentially if we were to ever sell the place that we're in as well you know I wanted to keep it potentially so that we could use it as a different room as well Yeah and actually that's an important piece about uh, any room in your house that you're completely redesigning or repurposing Because you won't be doing it for all the time, all the time, and other people may not want it as well. So, you know, having it, um, ha- having it for a future use is is equally important. Uh, tell us what thoughts you had about what it is you wanted in terms of you know, did you go on Instagram, Pinterest, oh, palette boards, all, all that kind of, of it. things. It gives you a focus, I know, but I mean, definitely. How important is it for Baba? Well, there's so there's so much information now, so I feel like honing in on your style is something that is really crucial. So before you even attempt and look at furniture and look at all the gorgeous things that you can have, really choose the style that you want. So whether it's classic classic, modern, rustic, mid-century, bohemian or minimalist, neutral. I know that sounds like it's overwhelming as well, but Mm -hmm. if you nail down the style first, then that's when you start pinning like a maniac. And that's what I did. So picking the style that you want before then choosing the actual decorative elements to the room is so important. And of course, you don't want it to jar with the rest of your home because if you've already selected a style for the other rooms, you you probably want a similar type thing, do you? Exactly, yeah. I mean, keeping it in the same vein as the rest of your house is good and kind of lends itself to what we were saying earlier about Mm. potentially changing it into a different room in the future. But I am a big advocate of the mood board then. So once you've got your style nailed down, that's when you move into the mood board phase. And this is 
when you can kind of go a little bit mad. Like this is when you can really pull everything out. I would do Pinterest boards, but you don't have to do that. You can just jot down what you want or you can take screenshots on Instagram as well. Mm. But pulling in different things that you want in a mood board really helps then with the overall aesthetic, I feel. And it really kind of, I suppose it can kind of clear what can be an overload of information once you've nailed down, okay, I want a, a minimalist style nursery. Fine. But how do you actually create that mm. then? Mm. So really pulling in different things into a mood board is something that I did and that I found really helpful. Now, of course, for now, this is little Lola's room and yes. will be for the considerable uh, future, I would imagine. But it may not always be little Lola's room. And um, as a result, like you have to be careful. I've seen nurseries done where they have the child's name printed everywhere oh, yeah, and I've it's seen that. you know pink yeah. and not blue yeah. has that pink and blue thing gone now is it all neutrals and there's a lot of neutrals now that yeah. being said I have a big old pink wall in my nursery but it is a farrow and ball sulking pink is the is the name of the colour and it's a dusty pink and mm. I would actually call it a neutral so mm. I feel like you know and it's only paint and it's only paint exactly but it, I, we did it as a feature wall um, and we did panelling on the wall as well because I could take everything out of the nursery and put a double bed in that room and it would be a very stylish spare yeah. bedroom. So, so that's the important thing just so, to have it right. Okay. Exactly. Alright so that's longevity. Don't over personalise it exactly. because you may have to rechange it in the future. Um, now the other thing is what you're calling here zoning. Mm. Now I don't know about you. Maybe you have a grand big house but lots of people have their box room as yeah. their nursery. So they mightn't feel like they have zones for anything. But this is about furniture and use and structure, isn't it? 100%. I feel like when you say zoning, the first thing that you think of is massive space that you have in order to create different zones. That's not the case at all. I think when you're thinking about a nursery, you have to think about the three main zones of what you'll need. And they are sleeping, feeding, nappying. So basically (laughs) everything else will fall by the wayside. Like if you're thinking, oh, we're going to have a little cute play area and we're going to have all this. No, I mean, really pull it back to basics. So think about the sleeping, the feeding and the nappying. So you need to configure a layout that optimizes the space of the room that you have. And that can be a box room. That can be a huge spare bedroom as well. It doesn't really matter. It can be a corner of your own bedroom. Like I found found that, you know, the baby is only three months old. She's with us at the moment. So Mm. we have a zone in our bedroom because she's not actually in this nursery that I spent nine months decorating (laughs) yet. So, you know. Think how grateful she'll be when she gets to you. This is it. So think think about that. So, I mean, optimise the space. And if it's a smaller room, you know, don't, don't freak out about that. Choose colours will be, you know, a really great help for you if you have a smaller room. So choosing a good colourway. I think I've spoken about this on the show before, actually, but painting a ceiling, what you might might think will actually enclose your room could actually open it up mm. a bit. And also don't be afraid of things like incorporating wallpaper for zoning as well. That can really break up the space as well. So, I mean, think about the zones, think about how you'll move through the room as well. And if it's a smaller space, I, I do think that try not to fill it up like try not to fill it with loads and loads of furniture there is that temptation though isn't there to kind of fill it with clothes fill it with furniture fill it with toys fill it with books fill it with shelving and, and actually, maybe it's not all necessary, at, certainly at the very early stages. I 100% agree. And the thing is, as well, it's about creating visual interest without packing it in too much. So smaller rooms sometimes will lack kind of the architectural, like, 
accents that you will find in, in say, bigger rooms or hallways and things like this. Sometimes it literally can just be a square room. So you have to really think about that and 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 also just have a bit of fun with it as well. Like don't don't get too in depth about like where everything is going to go, you know. And um, but I think think about different things like how long you want the baby to be in that room. For example, a cot is so important that's a sleep mm. zone. But do you want that to turn into a toddler bed mm. that again lends itself to the longevity of it? So you have to think about these things as well when you're spacing it. Now you've a couple of hero products <laughs> that you said oh. you couldn't do without and you would recommend. So give us those for any of the of the new parents uh, out there. Absolutely. Well, Sinead, how long is your show? So um, <laughs> my hero products, um, a storage bench. So this is one thing that I found really, if you have the multi-purpose. space. Multi-purpose. We're all for that. Multi-purpose. So when you're in the nursery, you know, you will a lot of the times have people in there with you. If you have people visiting, um, it's nice to have somewhere else for somebody to sit aside from the rocking chair. So um, a storage bench, Ikea, it's 120 centimetres. Again, it's for a slightly bigger room. If you have it, 179 euro handmade rattan. I already have, oh my God, I'm going to start crying I already have my newborn stuff in the storage bench I know stop stop but again but they grow so fast Um, (laughs) but I found that it's a really nice element to have just towels and extra bedding in as well great idea and I mean we have heard you talking about this before for hallways for benches in kitchens that you can sit on and store things in really really important call me Neve Benchmar I love (laughs) the storage love a bench right wardrobe dividers what's that now yeah so the these are so fun and uh, something that I'm really having a lot of a lot of good crack with. So wardrobe dividers, Cozy Hedgehog wardrobe dividers on Amazon. They're eleven ninety nine, and this is just sorting out the clothes because my God, do you have a lot of clothes yeah, for a they baby? They come with a lot of kit. Don't they, they come with a lot of kit, and they grow out of things so fast that it can be overwhelming to keep track of. So these ones are great because they have all the ages, so zero to three months, three to six months, six to nine months. But they also have things like nightwear, dresses. Uh, sleepwear things like this okay. so, it's so where because I mean they don't like this th- thing of zero to three months it's a bit like going into one shop to buy a size 12 and yeah. it's a totally different size in another shop oh it's all you know? different so sizes y- you kind of have to have that jewel thing going on for exactly. a long time and it's constantly changing as well and then your drawers is where you keep all of your vests and your different things like yeah. that so these I found really helpful and where will people get those now Amazon you can get oh, them eleven okay. ninety nine, but they also do them in pennies and places like that but literally just Google wardrobe dividers yeah. and it is a life changer and they'll constantly be changing yeah, as and well. even hanging up and, and I've seen them um, you know you you hang up a kind of a canvas yeah. set of drawers on a, on a hanger and th- those things can be great as it'll well it'll just focus your mind as well which yeah. I think is really crucial at this point now one thing which I found invaluable uh, 150 years ago when I was having small babies uh, was the blackout blinds oh, they really yeah. are essential aren't they they are essential and the thing is I actually have um, and I'll, I'll post this on my Instagram when this is going live just so that people can see but I actually have quite light curtains in my nursery and actually that's a mistake I made because I did it because they look really pretty and they very much go with the style of the aesthetic but I know that when my daughter is in there I'm going to want it blackout so a good thing to do is actually Tommy Tippy blackout blinds $42.99 now these are Velcro tabs and that are located around the edges they're compact they're very versatile and you can bring them with you so bring them anywhere that you want to go you really have to nail this because at the moment, certainly at this time of year, uh, that light is going to seep in bright, bright, bright ah. light from about ha- five in the morning. It's like Alaska at the moment. <laughs> yeah, like literally, I, I mean, the baby to. is constantly awake. She <laughs> yeah. doesn't know who, she doesn't know what time it is. Neither do I. Yeah. So yeah. these well, are Well, bringing great. them with you is fantastic. I remember going on holiday once um, over to one of those campsites. 
holidays in France and strap trying to strap up um black plastic bags yeah, on the windows no, of the baby's room just to kind of just try and <laughs> stall by even an hour. That's it. And it's just any kind of structure that you can bring into it. So these are great. The blind attaches to pretty much any window from 130 by 198 centimetres down to about a third of that size. So you can adjust them as well, which is which is really good. You can get them on mamas and papas, um, but also you can get them on Amazon. And I just think they're great because you can throw them in the car, even if you're going to your relative's house and it comes into the evening time. And uh, again, it's just the sun is beating in on them. So um, it's a great one. One of my hero products. All right. Well, you you are a hero for coming in here ah, today, Neve. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I must say, um, I'm always uh, in awe of any mom who manages to get up, showered, dressed, and, <laughs> and mobile while their baby is under a year old. Nobody <laughs> said I was showered. <laughs> well, you look great, and we're delighted to have you back. Thanks, Janine. Um, that's Neve Marr, commercial creative director of the journal.ie, uh, and we are delighted to have you. Delighted to have you. So, love to Lola, and uh, I hope it all continues to grow. Oh, well thanks, Janine. Always that, a pleasure. That is all we have time for on the show this morning. If you'd like to get involved, maybe you have a question for us or one of our lovely designers or a topic you'd like us to cover, well, then please do so. Get in touch with us, 53106 on text or email at the home show at newstalk.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Neve, you're on Instagram? Neve underscore Mar. Indeed. And you will see all of little baby Lola's uh, experts. <laughs> Exploits, <laughs> stylish exploits there. Thanks to Eva Breen producing today and Steve McLoon who is on sound. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.